This is Santia Deck, and you're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 89, dedicated to a young lady who in 1989 won the Wimbledon Championships and the U.S. Open, Miss Steffi Graf. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading to another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we have Mr. Ethan Piotta, host of the Prospect Podcast, coming on and joining me to talk about high school players or basketball players that are taking an alternate route in between high school and fulfilling their dream of playing in the National Basketball Association. Ethan does a phenomenal job of breaking down NBA scouts and breaking down film and ranking them and talking about their their pros, their cons, their strengths, their weaknesses about how we should view them or how he views them going into the NBA and before they're drafted. Now, he does a phenomenal job, just like Mr. Ryan Roberts of the NFL Draft Bible, who I had on just about a week ago now, getting us ready for the NFL Draft. They do a great job of breaking down film. Trust me, if I could break down film just like them, I would. Breaking down film is not easy. I can watch things and see exactly what I'm watching on the television, but relaying that same information in a detailed format just like they do, they do a phenomenal job with that. I will leave that to them. This conversation was also recorded on Sunday, April the 26th. The day it was before the episodes three and four of The Last Dance were aired. So you'll hear me in the beginning ask Ethan about The Last Dance, what he thought about the first two episodes, then what he's anticipating or thinking we'll, we'll see in episodes three and four and the rest of the documentary. So in case you're wondering, why in the world is Jay going back in time? No, this was actually recorded before episodes three and four were actually aired on television. So without further ado, Let's go ahead and take a trip as I hit my microphone to Long Beach, California to enjoy my fun conversation with Mr. Ethan Piotta, host of the Prospect Podcast. Hey, Ethan, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. No problem, man. No problem. Before we get into basketball and the analysis that you provide and that you do on a, on a daily basis, I want to ask you quickly, how are things going with you in COVID-19 and how are you coping with this abnormal time in life? Man, I mean, it, it's, it's tough because there's just, you know, there's not much to do, but this is a time for someone I, like I me, mean, at least with what I'm interested in, uh, where there's no live sports, no live basketball to catch up on old basketball, study trends and whatnot, um, kind of, you know, really get in depth on the 2020 NBA draft class and whatnot. Um, and we've been, you know, we've been getting a lot of news, whether it's rec- recruiting, like we're going to talk about today, uh, kind of how that shifted. Um, and just in terms of, you know, the NBA, college basketball, high school basketball in general. So I, I'm, I've been keeping up with it, but it's, it's been tough. Definitely. I bet. I bet. What, what old games have you, have you been watching? Man, it's, it's been a lot of Jason Tatum for me. Uh, Cause you know, before his draft process, I was never really high on his game. Uh, so I came back, I watched a bunch of old 2016, 2017 Duke games. And I was, you know, kind of just watching him, you know, where did I go wrong in my evaluation? But not only him, just, you know, a bunch of players that, um, you know, Markel Fultz and whatnot, being a 76ers fan, that one's tough to look back on because I, I swore he was going to be the next, you know, D-Wage straight out of Washington <laughs> the way he was playing. But <laughs> obviously that didn't turn out. Um, but, you know, just kind of guys like that. Um, evaluating their games, seeing what translates to the NBA level and whatnot. So, I mean, I've been keeping up with it. 
Okay. Okay. Have you picked up any new trends as far as like new trends or like, excuse me, not trends. That's not the word. Any new hobbies during, uh, during this time? I don't know. I'm, I've, I think it's mainly just been kind of looking through those old games. Like I've said, like, and it hasn't even been just for prospects, just like going on YouTube and searching full games from the eighties and whatnot, like games that I wasn't even alive for. Um, I've been watching a lot of Ralph Sampson. He's insane um, on the Houston Rockets. It's been crazy to me to watch him play uh, with Hakeem. I wish they could have been together for a few more years. Um, but, yeah, just kind of – I've always stumbled upon the old Houston Rockets teams. I don't know why. The the teams of the 80s or the teams of the 90s? I know you mentioned Ralph Sampson, but those yeah. 90s teams are pretty good too. Yeah, both. I was watching, I think, the was it the 95 or 96 team, or maybe it was 94, that beat the Knicks when John Starks could not make a shot in the fourth quarter. <laughs> that was uh, that was the I, that was the full game I watched. I think it was Game Seven. <laughs> Knicks fans hate that. They they definitely do. Um, have you watched? I know we just the, the last dance just have just uh, played last week. It's going to episodes three and four will air again tonight. Have you watched um, game game one or two, whichever game it was? And Jordan put up 63, 63 points against the Celtics in the eighty six playoffs. I think it was eighty six. Uh, did you watch that game at all? I have not watched that game back, but I mean from the highlights from. What I saw in the documentary uh, last week that was that was just an insane performance. I didn't even know he dropped sixty three that earlier that early in his career. So I mean that, that was that was crazy to watch. Like he, he's he's amazing. It's, it, can't wait for tonight. Honestly, it's gonna be another great two episodes. Yeah, man, it's gonna be gonna be amazing. Really quickly, um, what was your observation? I know you're a little bit younger than I am. What was your observation last week when watching episodes one and two? And then what are you um, kind of anticipating and hoping for tonight with episodes three and four? Yeah, I mean, I'm just getting educated as as it goes. Like I didn't <laughs> obviously learning about the whole Jerry Krause thing was was insane. I mean, he he looks horrible right now, but from what I've heard, from what I've read, uh, the coming episodes are going to be kind of establishing more of like a a parody basis on Jerry Krause. So everyone's not going to absolutely hate him by the time this documentary is over. Uh, I'm not sure how that's <laughs> going to end up, but kind of just anticipating how that relationship grows. Uh, obviously, I know Pippen came back this last season, but just seeing like actually like what materialized into him coming back onto the team uh, for their last championship is going to be interesting. So, I mean, I'm ready for it. So it's definitely something I need when nothing else is going on. Yeah, I know last week when they first came on, the ratings came out, I think it was Monday, I think it was Monday morning, or two, no, Monday evening or Tuesday morning, one of the two, um, but the ratings came out. They said that, that that documentary itself, it had more viewers than all but two NBA, NBA games this season or this past season that got cut short, which is like it, it came at the right time. Yeah, the NFL draft is here, but the NFL draft, it's a three-day process, and there's nothing for us right now as sports fans for the foreseeable future. We don't know when sports are going to come back. We hope it happens tomorrow, but we all know that's not going to happen. Um, so this the, the, the uh, documentary getting pushed up from that time period of after the NBA Finals up until right now. I mean, we have this weekend, we have to, tonight, and then we have three more Sundays. And for people like myself and like you, it, it gives us something to talk about. The following days after that, Monday and Tuesday, we get to kind of recap and talk about what happened and kind of digest what was thrown at us and what was uh, what was on our TV screen. And then the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's kind of just like, hey, let's look forward to anticipate, kind of predict what's going to happen, kind of like a regular NBA, uh, NFL week or NBA game. You kind of talk about what happened that very next day. And then the following days after, you kind of you kind of start um, anticipating what, what's to come. Um, with Michael Jordan, only because I know I didn't mean to talk about this as much as I have, but it's here. With Michael Jordan, what separates him – in your eyes, from today's players? I just think he, had, he just has a different mentality. You know, you know I, I, I like to keep, like, the, the greatest of all time debate aside because I just think LeBron and Jordan are both just amazing in their own respects. 
um, at least from what I've watched. And I did not watch enough. Michael Jordan was not alive for him being, you know, being in the NBA. So I can't, I, I feel like I can't even comment on that side of it. But just watching him uh, through stuff I've learned, you know, before the last dance and through the last dance and just the two episodes, I just think his mentality going out into the court was, was is different in the respect that, yeah, he put up numbers, but I mean, in my opinion, he just wanted to win. And that's the biggest thing I see with a guy like him is he would do absolutely anything to win the game. That entire story about him pretty much defying Bulls management by going to play in North Carolina pickup when he, when he had broken foot or something like that. I was like, I, I was, that was crazy to watch. And that was, that was crazy to hear and, and comprehend. And that's what I kind of gained from it is just how much of a, a winner he was. He, he, you know, he won on all three levels. Yeah, he did. He did. He's definitely uh, – I got to kind of understand basketball at the tail end, tail end of his Bulls career. On um, the Wizards career, I watched that. I was old enough to understand that at that time. But it was still like, this isn't Michael Jordan. And so this documentary to me and to you as well, educating all of us, all the listeners of the podcast, all, all, the, list, all the viewers of sports that are watching this at the same time, is really educating us and reminding us that Michael Jordan, yeah, he had the skill set. Yeah, he had the mentality but he brought it every single night, and he always knew. Especially one thing I noticed, when he first got there with the Bulls, I think it was his rookie year, the first two weeks, his goal, I don't know, his goal was to attack the best player and then be better than him. And it's like, you're a rookie in the NBA. You're, you're what, 20, 21 years old? I think he was 21 years old as a rookie, and he's attacking the best player um, on the team saying, hey, I know you're good. I know you're the best here but I want to be better than you and I want to be work harder than you. And I want everyone on the team to know that in crunch time, you can trust me to be the best player on the team to provide out, to push us and propel us to another win. And Ethan, I think with Michael Jordan, that's one thing that we all look back at. It's like, yeah, he had the skill set, but ultimately it was his desire and his will to push himself further than even he thought he could at times to be the best player that a lot of us have ever seen or one of the best players a lot of people have ever seen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, they, you mentioned it too. They threw in that nugget where he said, I think it was, I'm going to drop as many points as I can or play as well as I can every single given night because there might be a fan that's never seen me before and never gets to see me again. So, I mean, that, that was definitely something I took away from him. Just, he, he was built different in his mentality that, you know, he was going out you know, to win for the right reasons and whatnot. Exactly, exactly. There's a guy that has a mentality that when he was in high school – was maybe a little bit different than others. Um, LaMelo Ball, I believe you mentioned that you saw him out at AAU tournaments. I want to get your insight on that here in a little bit. Um, but LaMelo Ball, he had a different route um, on the forefront on TV than a lot of people. Michael Jordan, great, had a great uh, impact, got cut from a, the varsity team his sophomore year in high school, and everyone goes back and says, oh, his, his varsity coach is crazy. Well, no one really I – don't, I, don't, I didn't see Michael. You didn't see Michael at that time. You don't know his stature. We don't know much about him. It's just you cut Michael. We see the after effect, not what happened at that time. And LaMelo Ball, I remember when he was 15 years old, he was a guy that I was like, oh, he's cocky. I, I don't really like him. I don't like his playing style. I think he's full of himself. And then I didn't, I didn't know or I didn't believe he's going to progress to be the player that he currently is. Of course, he played um, overseas. I think he played twice. He came. He played overseas, came back, played at Spire Institute in Ohio, then also played in the JBA with his dad's league, kind of an alternate route for players who didn't want to go to college that could that could play uh, somewhat professionally or, or a little minor league-style basketball and go to the pros after that. And then he just played in um, Australia, the NBL, and a different route than a lot of players take to get to the NBA. A lot of players, they go from high school to college to the NBA, kind of like um, using the college basketball as a farm system or a minor league for the NBA, when your uh, analysis, when you uh, assess LaMelo Ball, how do you think that him going to play overseas and playing in different leagues that weren't 
necessarily uh, college basketball or, or the G League or a minor league system. How do you think going overseas and coming back helped him prepare for the NBA draft? I mean, looking at it now, it was just it was an excellent overall decision by LaMelo. Um, obviously, LeVar had a lot of implication in him going to Lithuania first, leaving Chino Hills uh, for going his last two. I think, I think he was a sophomore or going into a junior going into his junior season when he went to Lithuania the first time and obviously spent time in Spire. And then now in the NBL with the uh, Illawarra Hawks this year. I mean, I, yeah, I think it was an excellent decision. Um, unfortunately, doesn't look like it's going to set the exact trend that I thought might be possible with, uh, you know, high school prospects going to the NBL exactly because the G League has just emerged from absolutely nowhere. And it's much more of a viable option to just, you know, stay in, stay in the States instead of having to you know, travel across the country uh, to play professional basketball. But, I mean, definitely LaMelo, when you look at him uh, right now, he's the number one prospect on my, you know, generation upside talent um, and, and a decision to you know go from a high school setting and an amateur setting to a professional setting to prepare himself for the NBA at such a young age was an extremely mature decision and something that's definitely going to pay off uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. I went back and looked at your big board that you put on Twitter. I think it was about six, six, seven days ago. And you have LaMelo Ball at number one, your number one prospect um, overall. You have you broke it down into um, different categories. You have one, then you break it down that way, then category number two, or group two, excuse me, and break it down that way, and then group three. Uh, LaMelo Ball bring, being number one, what characteristics or what, um, what's his skill set that has him being number one on your big board 2.0 currently? Right. See, I mean, he's I, I've gone back and forth between him and Akongu, but the biggest question mark I feel like with a lot of people with Lamelo Ball is, you know, is the maturity. Like, is, is he mature? Um, you know, is his personality and whatnot? Is he going to put the work in? I think the work ethic is a viable question. As far as maturity goes, I mean, this guy is 18 years old. He just played for an NBL team and then absolutely bought the team outright when he's not even a member of the squad anymore um, the very next year to keep them afloat. I think that's a pretty mature decision if you're asking me. Um, and as far as this game goes, it's a six-seven point guard with unreal ball handling and you know unreal vision. He makes passes across the court like they're you know a chess pass from a guy five feet away. Uh, it's insane to watch him pass the basketball. I think he's going to be successful wherever he goes. Obviously, he does have his weaknesses. Twenty-five uh, percent from three this year when he was on the Illawarra Hawks, so he's going to have to become a lot more consistent with the jumper. But like we saw with his brother Lonzo, uh, kind of came into the league, struggled with his jump shot right away, had a weird. Had weird mechanics, weird stroke, uh, but I, I really think Lamelo is going to have, you know, the ability to change that shot and, and, and fix it for the foreseeable future. That's going to be key for his game. Um, and, and again, and the guy's six seven with a, as long as the arms as he has, uh, great foot speed on defense. I think you know he didn't even try on defense, in my opinion, from the fifteen games or so I watched him play with Illawarra Hawks this with the Illawarra Hawks this year. But uh, the, I, I, I buy him, you know, obviously at the NBA level. Uh, where the spotlight's on him to, you know, kind of exercise that natural potential that he has on defense. Because even going back to Chino Hills, the way they played, I mean, that that was, you know, him and LiAngelo pressing up and then just absolutely just leaving the ball as the, it goes to the other half and just cherry picking. That's why he scored 100 in one game. So, I mean, <laughs> there's there's um, definitely potential on the defensive side, but it's it's a question mark for now. I just think with the upside in this draft, especially, that puts him at number one.
I recently went back and was doing some research in preparing for our conversation. And Andrew Bogut, we all know him playing from the, in the NBA, playing uh, multiple years, got played with the Warriors as of recently, and got a ring with them. Andrew Bogut played against LaMelo Ball. And he actually mentioned um, in the article where they're, asking, where they're asking him questions about um, LaMelo and his playing style and things like that. He actually mentioned two things that you just mentioned. Uh, he's, in, he's inconsistent from three. You don't think he mentioned 25%. Then also, his defense has to improve. But those are all things that I think with the growth, with the maturity, um, getting his quote-unquote ball body, as his dad, LaVar Ball, called it back in, I think, 2017, when his dad was going all around the media, uh, TV stations, the radio stations, um, really just kind of talking about his boys and putting his boys' names out there, all three of them. LiAngelo's kind of the forgotten one, but his dad did not say, hey, his dad did not forget LiAngelo, even though people didn't want to talk about him, um, kind of being like the third the third guy there that's not really a – and most people said he wasn't an NBA talent. LeVar didn't care. He said, hey, that's my boy. I'm going to give him the same treatment, give him the same publicity that I'm going to give everyone else. But defense has to improve in inconsistency from three. I think the three-point shooting, that will improve once he gets better coaching because you get to the NBA and you get the coaching um, every single day from top-notch coaches. You can get top-notch shooting coaches. You can get guys that can kind of help you saying, hey, that's a bad shot. You have a, a player over here that's open. That's a horrible shot. Get, get your man open, and it'll give you – um, more free space down the road later in the game to really succeed. Uh, but I think his ball body, as his dad said, Ethan, that will kind of uh, help his defense improve down the road. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that again. And a good point about Leangelo, too. LeVar did not forget about him whatsoever. Uh, kind of unfortunate, too, Leangelo just signed a deal with, I think it was the Oklahoma City Thunder's G League team right before the NBA went on shutdown. So, oh, but man. again, like – you talk about LaMelo, and the reason I buy him, again, is, is he has grown a lot, like, since his time. You mentioned you saw him at 15 years old. I mean, at 15 years old, he had, what, a gap in his teeth, and he was extremely cocky, like you said, and he just cherry-picked down the court every single time. And I didn't really know what he was going to become at that point, and he's turned himself into this prospect. Uh, a lot of it has, you know, had to do with him growing to 6'7". But, you know, he has turned himself – he has improved his game. Uh, you mentioned the AAU thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I growing up in Southern California – playing against, you know, his big baller team and whatnot. We'd always see them in the gym. Uh, you know, LeVar, LaMelo, Lonzo would come to the games, LiAngelo and whatnot. Um, but, you know, watching him since, you know, his freshman year at Chino Hills, through AAU, through the circuit, uh, and, and just, you know, the amount of places that he's gone, I definitely think that he has grown as a player um, exponentially in the last few years. And I think that's just going to keep going up for him. That's, that's really why I buy him as my number one guy is that I think that growth will continue. Like you said, again, NBA shooting coaches are a different level. Uh, his brother Lonzo has obviously reworked his shot to become a reputable three-point shooter. I think he's going to keep getting better when you're talking about Lonzo. But LaMelo has a real chance as well to kind of rework that shot, uh, fix the mechanics, because he can shoot from outside. I mean, we saw him pulling up from NBA three-point range in, in high school. Um, and although the percentages weren't there, he, you know, he was still he was still doing it. So I, I, I still – I still think that's a part of his game, something that can definitely be approved upon. And defensively, he, he might not ever be, you know, a lockdown first team defender, but be, be, you know, becoming someone who is passable on that side is key to him. He could still be a star with, uh, you know, not the, the greatest defensive ability, but I, I still think he has the tools and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really am a fan of his game, especially in this draft class, which is relatively weaker. You got to go with guys who have, you know, the highest upside, in my opinion. This is a guy who's NBA ready right now. Yeah, he has uh, really kind of, uh, I don't want to say patented, because it wouldn't be a patent, but he's really kind of perfected in his own way somewhat that that uh, 
all the, like the transition pass, three quarter court pass or four court pass um, with the one hand. Or I even saw one play he um, dropped a dime between two defenders. I'm like, his vision, especially from back that time, like you mentioned, his maturity on the court and his vision has ultimately improved um, all the time. And I'm sure in your analysis and when you're watching film, you're thinking, wow, how in the world does a kid that was 15 years old um, mature to be this guy and then ultimately become to be the best passer in a professional league before he's 19 years old? Right. Again, it's just like he, you know, from from that point on, uh, it, it's everyone kind of used to joke about him. Oh, you know, Lamelo is going to be in the NBA. Lamelo is going to be this first round pick. It was kind of just a joke because Lonzo got drafted, but I mean, it materialized and he took the steps to be, you know, to turn into one. And, and it's been extremely fun to watch him grow. Definitely, definitely. Another guy that's fun to watch and took a different route to the NBA, just like. Uh, Wow, Lamelo. His name I almost called him Lonzo. <laughs> Lamelo did. Um, it was R.J. Hampton, and I remember when this news came out last year. He he was going doing the media circuit, all the TV stations. He went to ESPN, was on Get Up. I think he was actually on set at Get Up, which 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 was huge at the time. I'm um, a kid that's in high school coming on set, um, and then announcing and letting everyone know that he's going to be forgoing going to college, uh, not going to the G League, which was an option at that time. I don't want people to think that it wasn't. That was definitely an option at that time, and I believe the amount of money for a contract wasn't. $125,000. And then I was listening to Jalen Rose earlier today, and he said, well, $125,000, you can go overseas um, to Australia like these guys did in the NBL, and, and you can get paid $500,000. Now, even though you have um, your taxes are coming out, you have to pay your agents, uh, insurance, even though you're going to be making less than that, ultimately, when you net it out and it comes back to you, if I can make a $125,000 contract or a $500,000 contract, the money itself, it, it kind of makes sense in most people's minds. If I'm not going to college, of course, go to a place where I can make the most money, where I can also prepare under good, good competition in a professional league. And R.J. Hampton, on your big board, he is currently in the, in the third group. Um, he's not in the, sec- the second group. I'm gonna do, just going to name some of these guys for the listeners that are listening. Anthony Edwards, uh, Tyrese Maxey. Uh, Devin Vass- Vassal, I think I messed up his name, Tyrese Halliburton, Obi Toppin, uh, Tyrell Terry, just to name some of the guys there. Then he's in, the, in your third group uh, with Patrick Williams, Aaron Nesmith, Cole Anthony, Jalen Smith, James Wiseman. RJ Hampton, how do you think that this um, decision to go play in the NBL, NBL just like LaMelo, how did it help him prepare for the NBA? I think, you know, with RJ, you can make the case a few years ago, a lot of people were talking about, the 2020 NBA draft, kind of projecting it already as a weaker class. A lot of people were talking about RJ as a t- potential top three pick, if not the number one overall pick, uh, the way that he showed out in Texas in high school. But so you can you can make the argument that, you know, going overseas might have hurt his draft stock a little bit because maybe people aren't watching him play as much. From what I've seen with him, I, I'm so, this is like the most 50-50 guy I am on the class because I can't tell whether he's like a completely replaceable type of guard in, in terms of his skill set and whatnot. Or if, uh, you know, he's someone with his speed and with his potential development of an outside shot that could turn into one of the better players from this class. Um, So, I I mean, I'm still kind of out on whether it helped him or not moving overseas. Um, I I definitely think, again, it was the right decision because he's, you know, securing um, a contract at at that young of an age and getting professional experience. That's the one thing you can say about him is that he is – now, in a sense, ready for the NBA because he has played against professional talent uh, and guys that are much older than him for an entire year. Um, so I, I think, you know, I don't know if it necessarily helped his draft stock. Um, on some people, I, I've seen some people extremely low on RJ. I've seen people uh, pretty high on RJ. I'm kind of just in the middle at this point, uh, not ready to make a decision on his game. Kind of want to go back to him and watch just a few of his games again. 
uh, and see if I can differentiate anything. Or, but I, I, and again, I don't know what NBA teams are gonna, uh, you know, value his skill set either because I don't know if a lot of them were able to watch, you know, RJ this year. And uh, I think it was New Zealand. He was on the New Zealand Breakers. So I, it's gonna be, it's definitely gonna be something I'm, I'm interested in seeing, you know, his value around the NBA. Um, see how that's kind of, you know, measured. Um, but at least for me, I, I'm kind of just, you know, 50-50 on the guy. I, I think if anything, if I had to make, you know, a decision on it, I would say that his draft stock probably lowered a little bit from going to the NBL. Um, and I don't know if that's a bad thing or not, but just in terms of his, I think, overall consensus on a lot of boards, I think a lot of people fell on him after watching him on a professional stage, um, you know, then rather than, than Rose on his game. Yeah, that is possibly true. I, I was... I saw a quote from him when he was talking about why he chose to go overseas uh, for the New New Zealand Breakers and play over there in that league instead of going to college. And he said this, quote, live like a pro and to play with grown men and not have to juggle books and basketball, end quote. And I completely understand that there are a lot of guys that go to college and they know they're going to be one and done after the end of their season. um, They're kind of, you can tell like, uh, conference tournament time and then also um, once the NCAA tournament starts as soon as that's over they're done they don't care even though school's almost over if you make it to the national championship game you literally have what four three four weeks left the class um, maybe three weeks in, and then finals and then you're done you're ultimately done but I completely understand his mindset it kind of respected that at a young age you're going from everything you know especially the country that you grew up in to go overseas to a place you don't know around people you don't know. And a lot of times grown men, <laughs> you're playing basketball. They just don't really, they want to look down on you and treat you worse because you're an 18 year old kid playing over here, coming over here and saying, and in and, and their eyes, they know you're trying to take their spot, not just trying to um, up your draft stock. You're trying to take their spot and take their starting job and to take their, um, their season awards and all these things. So he's, he, he had, he had it very tough. And I do completely understand um, going over there, it's a risk. It can hurt you. And a lot of people, they kind of don't know what happens overseas. It's kind of just like the, the professional players that come from, from Europe and all the other professional leagues. Uh, if Luka Doncic would have played over here in college, he would have had – I don't think people would have been as shocked and surprised as, as we are with them coming to the NBA. And then we look back and go on Wikipedia, we look at YouTube, we look at uh, some of the research and some of the things that we see from all the top athletes and top candidates and top prospects coming to the NBA. NBA you're like, oh, Luka's been good. Luka's been progressing. And professional guys over there, they're saying Luka is the real deal. So I do understand R.J. Hampton and how it may have hurt him. But ultimately, from what I'm seeing on, on film, some of the things that I've watched and some of the things that I've been reading, it's, I think it could have been a good thing for him. I'm not saying it's going to be a trend where you're going to see a lot of guys do what he did or even LaMelo Ball did um, or even Jalen Green, who we're going to be talking about next. But I think it's going, be, it's going to be a good thing for him because he's getting better. He's learning how to be a pro at a younger age than, say, someone at – at 20, at 21, at 19, that extra year, maybe it didn't help his draft stock, but his adjustment to the NBA, Ethan, may have been helped by going overseas. Yeah, definitely. Again, that's, well, the biggest thing for me is that he did gain that professional experience in this one year, uh, you know, with New Zealand, which is, which is definitely a positive indicator and something that, um, you know, is worth noting. Watching back the game that he played against LaMelo in the NBL, there was – Multiple times throughout that game, you can argue throughout the overall landscape of the game, the two played. I mean, RJ's team blew out LaMelo. LaMelo's team was 6-27, and 27, I think, 6-23, something like that. Worst team in the NBL this year. Um, but RJ outplayed LaMelo in a, in, a lot of, um, in a lot of aspects of that game. In terms of, you know, just he was dominant on offense. LaMelo really couldn't stay in front of him. And I don't know if that's so much of an indicator on LaMelo, who, again, like I said, really didn't try on defense that much this year. 
or RJ, who, you know, kind of popped out on the screen in that game. He was blown by LaMelo. He has an explosive first step. He can get to the rim. He's, he applies great rim pressure. He's excellent around the rim finishing. Uh, and, when, you know, when you're a 6'4 guard and you kind of have, you know, the vertical pop that RJ has, um, it, it, that's the, you know, the most intriguing part of his game. And then on defense, he's, you know, he's a guy who's, you know, when you're 6'4 again as a point guard, you're already at a height advantage and you have the foot speed that he has. Um, and you kind of have the longer arms and you have good instincts. Um, defensively, he could be, you know, you could become a nightmare. That's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of uh, guard prototype that really excels on defense in the NBA is RJ Hampton's build, if you will. Um, so, I mean, again, excited to see what he does at the next level. I uh, completely agree with you that I don't think, you know, the one year overseas hurt him in the long-term standpoint. Uh, as for now, I, I definitely say with his draft stock, it dipped a little bit in the short term, but it all matters, you know, what you do when you're actually at the big stage, not, you know, what happens before uh, the NBA. So, I, you know, he's definitely going to be getting drafted come July, August, whenever, you know, whenever, whenever we have the draft. So, um, but I, I definitely, definitely agree with that. In the long term, having this year of professional basketball under his belt uh, will definitely be a positive. What is, what would you say is his best strength? What's he, what's he the best at? And then what would you say there's some, one thing that he could definitely work on um, here in his early NBA career, when he get whenever he gets drafted, his burst is you know, his speed uh, off the ball, on the ball, whatever you know, whatever you want to say is is really eye popping. He, he's in just extremely fast, and that kind of predicates his entire game. Um, the speed that he plays with, um, you know, indicates how good he is on defense, how well he gets to the rim. Uh, he's just a great athlete overall. That's the most intriguing thing with RJ is that he's fun to watch because he's going to dunk on someone. He's also going to be able to cross over someone um, and, and he's going to be able to lock up on defense. The biggest thing for him is that in the NBL, especially teams did not respect his jump shot at all, uh, which is, you know, understandable. He was, was not a good three point. She has not been a good three point shooter uh, since high school. Wasn't a good three point shooter with New Zealand this year. So a lot of teams just went under the screens and cut off his driving lanes. If he's able to become a respectable, you know, 35% to 40% three point shooter at the NBA level, from behind the arc, it's going to open up his game completely. And those driving lanes are start, you're going to, you know, start to see them open up. Also his passing ability he has really underrated vision uh, for a guy that we're not sure if he's going to be a point guard or shooting guard yet. I kind of just have him in that combo guard mold. Uh, Cause I, I can't really decide on whether or not in the NBA, he's going to be a guy that's going to need the ball or going to be able to play off the ball, but all the indicators for him as a point guard are there. And that's, you know, that if, if he does turn into a point guard, someone that you can give the ball, uh, with his speed, with his ability to get to the rim, having him as a, you know, a point of attack defender on defense. I mean, that, that's definitely something that is intriguing. That's why I'm definitely not out on him yet. Um, excited to see what he does at the next level because he is a really good prospect. Yeah. And then um, uh, did you mention a weakness? Yeah, just that three-point shooting. I think it, it, right. will, all, right. it will open up his entire game, uh, especially on offense, you know, whether that's getting teammates open, getting to the rim finding those driving lanes, attacking the basket. You know, it, it's hard to do. Being a 76ers fan, I'm watching Ben Simmons right now, and, and you know, you kind of just wait for him to develop a reputable 35% outside shot and, and kind of wait for the MVP season to go on. <laughs> That's my, <laughs> my dream, at least. But, I mean, it's because it's everyone just goes under the screen on him and, and whatnot. So, it's, 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 you know, kind of the same thing, not the same thing, because RJ can at least pull it from deep and will pull it from deep. Uh, but – opening up that outside shot is going to be huge for him. I was wondering if you want to compare and put that comparison together um, with Ben Simmons and, uh, and RJ Hanton, as you're describing his jump shot. It was kind of like, wow, as you're talking about it and talking about how he can improve, thinking Ben Simmons automatically, he's the first thing that came into my mind. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny too with Simmons because people will go under the screen on him, pick him up from the paint, whatever you want, he'll still blow by him. It's crazy to watch. But <laughs> uh, with RJ, you know, not being 6'10", not being, you know, the, the size that Penn is, uh, it's, it's a lot tougher for him to, you know, create that space in the key. Uh, can't just go post up some, you know, Kelly Oubre type forward guard, whatever. So it, it's, it's going to be, um, it's, it's going to be key for him to be, you know, a good outside shooter. And that opens up his game completely. Definitely. Definitely. Another guy, this, this news just came out. Ooh, about a week, week ago, maybe week, week and a half ago, maybe two weeks at the most. Um, Jalen Green, um, can, number one on ESPN's top 100, uh, 247 sports has him ranked as, as a number three prospect in this, in this class. And then also in rivals, he's number two. Another guy, he decided to go from well, a different route. The other two guys, LaMelo played um, in a few, uh, Lithuania, then uh, Australia, then also played in the JBA with his dad's league, the alternate league um, for players who didn't want to go to college to play a little bit and then go into the NBA. Um, RJ Hampton went from high school right to New, right to the New Zealand Breakers. Jalen Green's going from high school to the G League. And to me, this is interesting because we all know how the G League and their travel, it's not your regular typical professional travel because it's not a professional league. It's more like um, your farm system or your feeder system or kind of like your minor league for the NBA. And Jalen Green is kind of I, – I, I'm watching him. I'm not, the, I'm not the biggest. and I like high school. So I like high school sports, high school basketball. I do a lot of high school stuff watching games, uh, high school football, basketball here in Indiana. But when it comes to the national scene, I, I don't really know much about him. So when I heard his name, I'm like, okay, let me see some stuff. Let me go in and watch some stuff on YouTube. Let me go ahead and read some articles on him. Let me see what this guy's about to see if this, room, if this move is, is proper for him. And it jumps off the page. He's very, very – he has a quick first step. Um, he elevates very, very well. He's a, he's a creative finisher for a guy that's a senior in high school. But in my mind, I'm wondering, why would you go from high school to the G League? Now, I just understand he's going to be in a different program than most for the elite, elite athletes. I understand he's going to get um, $500,000, I believe, and it's also a possibility of getting more money. Money's great. We all want money. We, no one complained when they got that stimulus check, stimulus check from Trump. But ultimately, I'm thinking about Jalen Green. To me, the best route may have been college because you're going to get better coaching in college than you will in the G League. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of out on it. Right now, I'm definitely on the side of, you know, the 500000 is there. You get your own team in Southern California. Uh, you know, you get the $125,000 credit from the G League to, you know, go back and get your scholarship whenever you want it, pretty much on demand, um, and get that NBA-level training that I think is essential for a lot of guys. Um, you mentioned it. Jalen Green is—he's an insane athlete. I mean, he plays above the rim. Uh, he plays bigger than he is. He can get by guys again, kind of similar to RJ in the in the, in the way that he's going to have to really develop that outside shot to take his game to the next level. Um, but in terms of just an overall athlete, he's extremely fun to watch. I think going to the G League for him and staying—you know—close to home while making money, and then you know have the ability to even go back to college is definitely, I, I think it's really hard to pass up. The college point is definitely, uh, you know, worthwhile, worthwhile to talk about because college coaching is on another level. It definitely does prepare you for the next level, whether it's a guy like Penny Hardaway at Memphis or John Calipari at Kentucky. You know, they're going to take those guys and, and get them ready for that next stage of their games. But I, as for now, I, I definitely think it was the right decision in terms of bypassing the college offers he had uh, and, and taking that $500,000 contract. I understand that won't be, that high of a sum of money for absolutely everyone that comes out of high school. But at least for a guy like Jalen Green, everything was kind of just put there by the G League. Um, it was a really enticing offer from what I've seen. And so I, I can't fault him for, you know, taking that money 
and, and uh, the prospect of everything that's there. You get your own team, G League Select, whatever you want to call it, NBA training. Uh, I, we're going to see. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like the test, you know, the, the test drive. Like, will, you know, will he benefit from this? Will he have benefited more from going to college? I guess we'll see in a few years. Will this get him ready for the NBA at a level that others, you know, won't have the advantage of, you know, of getting ready? But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, at least for now on paper, I, I'm going with the fact that I think he made the right decision. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, and it, it is kind of like, I, as you've mentioned, um, the area, you're in Cali, uh, you're going to be there, you're going to be getting a different type of system, a different type of um, preparation for the next level than a lot of the other players are, um, but yeah, he is, <laughs> he's very, very explosive, you mentioned something about the $500,000, and I mentioned it as well, it's not going to be there for every single player, another guy that's going to be taking the same type of move, type of jump, um, is Isaiah Todd, now people may be wondering, who is Isaiah Todd? Is he good? Is it worth it? Is he just, is he just another guy that wants $500,000 um, because it's there? Is, is he really this, this, this big talent? Well, in Rivals, he's their 14th ranked player in the class. 247 Sports, he's number 14. ESPN, their top 100, he's number 13. So from all the, the three major um, um, ranking systems that we utilize here in the country, um, he, is, he is good. He is very good. Six foot 10, he's, very, he, he's good around the rim. He likes a three-point shot. Um, he, he likes to – he has a, uh, like a Dirk-esque – um, fadeaway, one foot, one foot jump shot, um, fadeaway. And it was kind of, I, I saw it in the guys that were commentating there. They're like, oh, wow, that's pretty good for a high school guy that's six foot 10. It's, it's not really a move that most guys can use now. And if they use it, they really embarrass themselves. But Isaiah Todd, once again, I mentioned the money aspect for this reason. Jalen Green going to get the $500,000 or endorsements there that are available. People are saying they're estimating that Isaiah Todd's contract will be around three hundred, three twenty-five thousand, dollars which is still great money. It's still really good money. Don't get me wrong. But after you take off, after you take off your uh, money for your insurance, money for your agent, uh, money for taxes, that's dwindled down. And then you're going to be getting top-notch training, and that's going to be a lot more money. So, yeah, now you're going to be wonder, wondering and learning that, yeah, this guy, he's good. He's going to the G League over high school. But for him, Jalen Green, maybe maybe good shot. For Isaiah Todd, I think he needs a college coaching right now because even for a stretch four, there's a lot of things that even one year in the G League or on that select team – I think that it would probably be better for him to get the top coaching or to get the coaching from college over the over uh, the G League. Real quick, Ethan, what do you what do you see from Isaiah Todd? Thoughts about him going to the G League and taking this route over going um, to college um, right now? Yeah, like you mentioned again, you talk about a six ten stretch four. I think that's exactly what he's going to be in the NBA. But he plays not smaller than he is because he blocks a lot of shots on defense and, and he's you know he's a good rim protector. He jumps out the gym. But he, you know, he plays like a guard on offense from the perimeter. He's spotting up. He's he gets a little too happy with the three sometimes. Doesn't you know use his size to his advantage all the time. Uh, but he's an interesting prospect in the way that, yeah, like you know, I'm looking here. I think he said something about you know when he got the call from the G League, it pretty much was irrefusable, um, and he had to do what's best for his family and whatnot. And of course, I respect that. You know, that's 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 a hundred percent. You know on the player if, if, you know, they feel like they have to collect that, you know, that first check, you know, before you can even get to college. I mean, you're going to have to do what you have to do, but playing in college for a guy like Isaiah Todd, I, I agree. I think just that game experience of finding his kind of role on the court, because that's one thing with him is I don't think he has a definitive role that I see as I, at least for now or, or a niche uh, that could translate to the NBA level, you know, successfully um because he's kind of just all over the place in terms of you know you see flashes on offense sometimes you see horrible shot selections sometimes you see him taking good shots you know using his size to his advantage um definitely that year of just seeing him you know cutting up his tape in a game against other top guys uh, you know against other prospects 
would have been nice. Um, and I, I don't know if he's going to get that in the G League. His salary is, is definitely, I think, a little bit lower than Jalen Green's uh, in terms of what he's getting. Uh, but, you know, I, when, when he, and he's, he's saying, like, I got a call. It just sounded perfect. It sounded like a no-brainer. Like, I, I kind of understand that. I mean, everything, they kind of lay it out for you in terms of the <laughs> benefits. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know. The, the jury's kind of out on Todd. I, I'm not super high on him. I do like his game. There's definitely some positive indicators. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting to watch how he, you know, grows with Jalen Green on that select team. It is. I, I, I was looking back at him and his, his path through high school. Started off at John Marshall High School in Richmond, Virginia, and then he went to two different schools, two different private schools that both gave him scholarships. Trinity Academy in Raleigh, North Carolina, then also Word of God Christian Academy in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I'm pretty sure this isn't a bad thing on him at all, but I'm pretty sure the people that are coming to him and coming to his family and that are, that are um, laying out this plan for him to go to a different school, a private school, laying out the scholarship that he's going to be getting. I'm sure that they've been getting a lot of things. Their people are portraying them and selling them on what they're wanting to provide for their son all the time. And ultimately, like you said, they get, he got the call. He's like, it was kind of just like a, a no brainer, but they, they're, they're salesmen. That's what they do. They know how to lay things out for people to, to uh to to go this route and to do something that kind of be a pioneer a guinea pig to go this route and to see exactly how it is um this new program is going to work going i'm going to group these guys together isaiah todd and jalen green um not really talk about them as prospects but how do you view long term not just saying next year but long term do you see the nba um keeping this route and keeping the same money the same way with the five hundred thousand dollars that trickle on down there for elite athletes to try to lure players from college to the uh, to go to the G League, or do you think the NBA will just do something completely different to change to revamp things completely, but still do a same type of program to where it's not this program now. It's completely different, more money, uh, different top, maybe a different league as well, um, to try to get players to come to them immediately instead of going to college uh, for one year. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to all depend really on on how this you know, test run, like you said, the, how the guinea pigs do, how Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd do, you know, what, what's their experience, how do they perform, how do they grow in this one year? Uh, and that's going to be really indicative of kind of like what happens in the future for the NBA. I'm I'm really excited because I don't know, you know, I think personally at this point, like you might as well just let the guys go straight from high school to the NBA level. Uh, instead of, you know, this NBA G League kind of safe spot, if you're just going to already let him into, you know, a kind of professional stage like the G League. So I wonder if, that, if that's something they're going to shift to in the next few years or whatnot. Um, but it, it's interesting because it's all going to depend on kind of who buys into it and, and how well these guys do this year. You know, what are their experiences? Was it a positive experience, a negative experience? Like, could they have grown more? Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting comparing guys like Todd and Cunningham to guys like Kate Cunningham, or it's not Todd and Cunningham, Todd and Green to Kate Cunningham. Uh, who's taken his year at Oklahoma State and kind of just seeing how they progress uh, and how they grow in their games and their development throughout their one year in college, throughout their one year at the G League level. Um, it, it's really all just going to depend. I, I really thought Greg Brown, uh, who recently committed to Texas, five-star guy, was probably going to take the G League route as well, just with the way that things were going, but he ended up going to Texas. Um, so that's another guy, you know, you compare him to someone like Todd or someone like Green in the way that they grow in this, this one year before, you know, the big stage, before the NBA level. Uh, yeah, how do they progress in their games? What's the better route? I think a lot of prospects, guys like, you can even get further into it, but Jonathan Kaminga, uh, you know, Emily Bates from uh, years, you know, years ahead that are going to be probably, you know, highly rated prospects. Uh, are, are, I mean, a lot, I see a lot of guys on Twitter just saying, you know, Bates should never play another high school or AAU game again. He should literally just be offered a contract by the NBA reserved and, and sit out until <laughs> he's ready to be drafted because he's that kind of talent. 
Um, but it's kind of just going to be all telling for the future years. It, the way that Green and Todd perform, the way that, you know, the way that uh, they're perceived in their one year in the G League is kind of, is going to set, you know, it's going to set the um, margin for how, you know, how things work in the future in the G League and college basketball and whatnot. So this is a big year uh, for, you know, the way that this turned out. Um, it's going to be something I'm watching, you know, very heavily. I, I really hope that they at least broadcast G League games, put them, you know, on a national stage uh, so that we can see these guys play in real time because I, I think that's, you know, a big indicator. I agree. I agree. I hope they do. I know that ESPN Plus right now, but a lot of guys, a lot of people like you and I would really enjoy a whole lot more than putting it on ESPN2, um, ESPN News. I mean, not really so much ESPN2 News. A lot of people don't even, don't even watch that channel. But a lot of people, uh, ESPN2, it's a, great, it's a great way for people to see different prospects. And ultimately, hopefully down the road, they start finding a way to put the European games on ESPN and the Australian games on ESPN. Because fans like us, we want to know who's coming next. And a lot of us don't want to – I mean, of course, different time zone. Um, so it's, it's completely different when you're overseas in a different league. A lot of times your time zone doesn't work with our work schedule and our life schedule right now. So a lot of people would really just really be really, really happy if the NBA said, hey, you're going to put some of these Australian games on uh, ESPN or some of the other games of top prospects or top games of uh, other leagues because it really enhanced ESPN and the viewer aspect um, for all of us. Really quickly, Ethan – Really quickly, I know I mentioned this earlier, um, rapid fire. I like to end it in this in every conversation that I have a guest on here on the podcast with a little rapid fire. Give me your first thought when you hear the question or statement that comes out of my mouth into your speakers or into your headphones there. Um, kind of a fun way to wrap this thing up. At the end, I'll give you time to promote yourself. If people want to connect with you uh, via social media, you can have time at that. You can take time at that time to let them know where they can connect with you and some of the work that you're currently doing. Um, thought or question number one. Favorite Michael Jordan play that you have watched? That I, I think that that one reverse he had where he hung in the air for what seemed like ten years, and then he put I, I I can't even remember who it was against, but I've watched it probably five or six times where he he reversed and he held the ball, changed the ball in the air probably six or seven times. Uh, was was I just I always wonder like how you know how do you have that kind of hang time? Like it's it's actually insane to me the way that he got off the ground. He's before his time. Uh, you know, and playing in playing in what he's playing in Jordan's too is like how do like how do you jump like that? It's, it's crazy to watch. Um, that's definitely the first one for me. Another player you mentioned him earlier, LeBron James. Favorite LeBron James play that you've that you've seen? I think when he absolutely just baptized Jason Terry. That was just a great. <laughs> that was a, that was a great. That was a great call. That was a great. Uh, I think it was Kevin Harlan maybe on the call. I don't remember who it was, but I mean that was just. The Cole lob, Norris Cole lob, and then James just jumped out of the gym and just absolutely threw it down on, on poor Jason Terry, who was you know, taking his retirement years on the Boston Celtics. So that was, that was probably one of the best dunks I've seen uh, since I've been alive, at least. Favorite NBA player, not currently, but a guy that you weren't able to watch live while you're living, that you've watched uh, via YouTube or watched film of, of old school guys, not named Ralph Sampson because you mentioned him earlier, favorite old school guy that you're watching and learning of right now? I cannot stand him now. I don't know why. Uh, I just I, – I can't – I called him the Booger McFarland of the, of the NBA a few days ago. But Reggie Miller, I mean, he – just the way he played in terms of, uh, you know, just – he was before his time. Again, a guy just before his time in terms of catching shootability off the dribble, whatever you want to yeah, – he's so forgotten. Uh, and, and he's extremely fun to watch, fun to dissect. Probably one of my favorite players of all time. I just – I cannot, unfortunately stand him as a commentator and I don't know what happened because I feel like he has good insight but 
on the court, I mean, one of my favorite players to watch of all time. <laughs> Bro, I'm a Pacers fan, but I do understand Reggie Miller calling games, man. It sucks because he. I love I love Kevin Harlan. He does he does a lot of games with Harlan, and I'm like Reggie, just just you're doing way too much. You have to find a different way to to relay the the info from your head to your to the to the us, the listener, the viewer. But all the time, man. Yeah, him on the court, wonderful kind. We'll probably never see another guy like him because he, he did learn how to kick his legs and use his arms to his advantage. And so the rest would not call fouls. But, yeah, him uh, him him calling games, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> it's tough. And, you know, yeah, he's just – you know, the way he was able to draw fouls, get in opponents' heads. And he's just – he's fun to watch basketball. I find watching a lot of that Pacers and Knicks series uh, – I think it was – I'm probably giving a super basic answer, but that's the series where he scored, you know, the, the eight points in, in nine seconds or whatever uh, I think it was. So I mean that that's yeah, he's he's just probably one of my favorite that I've I've ever gone back on and watched that I wasn't necessarily alive for. A game you watched you'll never forget. I think it was Embiid. Oh, I'm the biggest Embiid guy just because you know being a Sixers fan I try to stay non-biased, keep it off my Twitter and whatnot. But it, it's I trust me when when the Sixers are playing well I'm all in. Um, unfortunately I'm not missing them at all with the NBA season going. I'm actually blessed to not have to you know work my heart up over just a terrible <laughs> game of Al Horford clogging up the paint and whatnot and stealing money from the Sixers franchise but anyway and be you know when you look at him in 2017 I think that game he put against the Lakers ESPN maybe just re-aired it he had 46 points 15 rebounds and seven blocks and Julius Randle was trying to guard him I, this is one of Embiid's breakout games I just one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen from an NBA big guy no one could stop him we only won the game by like five or six points, but Embiid literally had to do absolutely everything to beat this Lakers team in Staples Center on a big stage by himself. Um, and, and a lot of my friends out here, you know, are Lakers fans in California. So kind of having Embiid drop a 46 piece straight on their heads, you know, straight on, I think Bogut was a member of the Lakers at that time. And, and Julius Randle whatnot was, was definitely sweet and something I could use in class the next day. <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Hawaii, anywhere really. We, we've gone, I think, Maui, uh, I, I, I don't like Honolulu as much because it's a little bit more of a city feel, but I think Maui is the one where it's, it's, it's really just calm and, and nice. And I, I'm hoping that we can go back soon. I don't, I don't know when this is all going to, you know, wrap up and whatnot, but uh, I mean, <laughs> definitely, definitely a fun summer, like one week getaway spot. Yeah, definitely. My parents actually, with this whole virus thing going on, they kind of had to change their, the way or the place we're going to go to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary. And so they were thinking about going to Hawaii, but then my mom was like, ah, that may not happen. Well, because with the virus, you don't know. But man, right. I've never been. My mom talks about it all the time. My dad's just like, yeah, I'll go back if she wants to. That's kind of his mindset. But um, but yeah, man, it's a place I want to I, I go. Kind of a, the, the next thought here, where's a place you would like to go, but you had never been? Man, I, I've always wanted to go to Italy, and I know it's probably horrible now, the, the amount of, you know, they've been on lockdown for however long, but I, I thought Italy was super cool just with the, uh, with my limited knowledge of their, um, what is it, I can't even think of the names, the, the rivers that flow through the city and whatnot on the gondolas and stuff, I, that's super, that's, I, that's, honestly, I've, I've always wanted to go to Italy, I, I still want to go to Italy, I'm, I would say South Africa, because I lived there for a year when I was in third grade, um and that was just amazing but uh, yeah I definitely want to go to probably I would say Italy or I mean even back to South Africa but you mentioned new place so I, I'd go with Italy better pro prospect Obi Toppin or James Wiseman Toppin um in my opinion just because he he is probably more NBA ready at this point I'm 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 relatively really low on Wiseman um at least more than the mainstream media is just because I, I just 
for one, the small sample size kills me. I wish we could have more college games of him. Uh, again, that's kind of the NCA, their deal. You can get into that, whatever. But um, that the one game that is really um, indicative of, of Wiseman's tape is against Oregon, uh, his last game of the NCA season. And I just really struggle to see him. You know, he doesn't have a jump shot right now, uh, spacing the floor and whatnot. He's slow off his feet, slow on his feet. He's a project. He definitely has some, you know, great natural athleticism, just a, a, a human specimen in the way he's built. Um, but top and just in the top and just in the terms of, you know, NBA readiness. And I think he does have a role as a potential stretch for one night, even though I'm, I'm not necessarily as high on him either. A game you would love to attend from any sport. <sighs> I've always wanted to go to an Eagles playoff game uh, at home and, you know, at Lincoln financial field. Um, but I, I've gone to my fair share of Eagles games to try to go back every year, at least for one. We've never made it out to the link for a playoff game. So I, I definitely would say uh, Eagles playoff game at home. Yeah, man, they're, uh, their fans are crazy. Did you live out there for a little bit? I did. My dad was born in New Jersey. So, I mean, since the day, oh, man, since the day I can even remember, I was putting on Allen Iverson jerseys and I was brainwashed for Philadelphia <laughs> sports fans. So I had, I had no choice. I've, I've been, I've been locked in since the beginning. So I mean, it's, it's that, that culture out there is just, it's, is unreal though for, for sports and whatnot. And I can't root for an LA, LA team the way that, you know, fans out here have so much other to do than care about sports. It's just like, yeah, yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I had to stick with my allegiance from my, uh, my dad since I was, was young. Last one, Kobe Bryant. What is one thing from his playing days positive, positively that you'll never forget about Kobe? Man, I mean, I, I used to, when I was really little, I used to kind of be a fair weather Lakers fan out here just because I didn't know any better. All my cousins like the Lakers. So I just wanted to jump on the bandwagon. Fortunately, my dad, you know, brought me back to the 76er side of it pretty soon. Didn't, didn't let me get away with that one. But I think Kobe just like, it was as a young kid, especially the biggest thing I remember is like, you just know that when the fourth quarter rolled around, no matter where he was pulling up from, uh, he was going to try to get his team back in the game. And more often than not, he did get his team back in the game. He turned into a different, you know, three-point shooter, uh, mid-range scorer, even though yeah, that was kind of, you know, his game. But especially a three-point shooter in the fourth quarter, I, he just, you know, would rise up, contested shots, whatever, leave him open. I mean, you're done. But I, Kobe was just, just in the way that he elevated his game uh, towards the end because, again, like Jordan, kind of just, you know, had that winning mentality under his belt. Um, that's one thing I'll, I'll never forget is I felt like I was just watching a superhuman in the fourth quarter when, when, when he would perform. He's my favorite player. Superhuman is a great way to describe him on the court. Uh, it's unfortunate he's no longer with us, but we'll get to relive his memories. ESPN, all these networks will replay his games. Of course, we've got YouTube at the click of – whenever we click the button, we can watch whatever we want to watch. Take some time before we wrap this thing up. Take some time to let people know where they can connect with you via social media, some of the work you're doing, and things like that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just at Ethan Piotta, at, you know, that's my name, um, on Twitter. And then I have my own draft podcast that I'm, I'm running right now kind of figuring out what I want to do with it. But you can follow that on Twitter as well at prospect pod. Um, don't know whether I'm going to turn that into more of just an audio thing or, 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 you know, a video breakdown where I'm kind of dissecting plays as they happen, drawing things on the screen and whatnot. That's kind of my idea for that. Uh, and then you can also just catch a bunch of scouting reports and whatnot that I'm, I'm going to be releasing pretty soon uh, that I, I, you know, have the links up on my Twitter and whatnot. So I like to go in depth on players and, and kind of, you know, really dissect their games to the fullest to get a, a good evaluation on them. And, and I, you know, tend to post a lot of clips from what I see about players and whatnot uh, just to, you know, gain my perspective on them, put my perspective on, on them, uh, you know, on my page and whatnot. Uh, so if you're interested in that kind of thing, interested in draft talk, um, 
definitely, definitely something that I would recommend. Uh, I'm, I'm always open to draft discussion and whatnot. Um, and and kind of, you know, just that's my, that's my thing right now. So, yeah. Thanks, man. Hey, real quick, I meant to ask you this earlier. How old are you? I'm 19 years old. I'm a freshman at uh, Arizona State University. Okay. So. I knew you were at Arizona State, but I wasn't sure the age. You definitely don't seem like a 19-year-old as far as the wisdom and the knowledge that you have of NBA basketball and being able to analyze and dissect all these players that we watch on a regular basis. And if it's a high school player, a G League player, um, a guess going to the NBA or anyone that's on their way to the NBA, you do a phenomenal job. Ethan Piotta. And for, the, for those of you listening, his name is in <clears> – <throat> excuse me. His name is in the title – of the podcast of this particular episode. So in case you're wondering how to, how to spell Piotta on Twitter, it is in the title of the episode. I know when I, when I first saw it, I, I even asked Ethan, I said, how do you pronounce your name? Because I was kind of stumped by it as well. If you told me that, I wouldn't know how to pronounce it. Ethan Piotta, thank you very much for coming on the JCS podcast and helping us really kind of get a little bit deeper into this new route of players skipping college to go to the NBA. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. And I quote, Booger McFarland of the NBA, end quote. As a Reggie Miller fan, a lifelong Reggie Miller fan, I grew up with Reggie Miller, a lifelong Pacers fan, you would think that would hurt. You would think that would pierce deep into my soul when he when that comment came out of his mouth. But no, I have watched numerous games that Reggie Miller has called. You have watched numerous games that Reggie Miller has called. There are times people watch games when Reggie Miller's on the call. They may love Marv Albert. They may love Brian Anderson. They may love Kevin Harlan. They may love them. They may love their work. Love how they go back and forth and provide a great flow throughout the game. But when Reggie Miller's on the television, some people say, nah, I'm going to dial that down, mute the television, turn the radio play-by-play guy up on the speaker, on the Bluetooth speaker, because nobody really has a radio anymore in their in their home. It's all via Bluetooth that we stream just about everything. Is Reggie Miller bad? Is it Was his play on the court better than his commentary? Yes. I don't fully agree with the Booker McFarland or the NBA quote, but I can't absolutely understand where someone would come out and say Reggie Miller you are horrible at commentary because honestly guys it's not his best attribute thank you for listening to the episode of the Jay Stevens podcast as always you can follow me on Twitter at jsteven07 if you would love to connect with the podcast and you are not on Twitter send your emails to jstevenspod at gmail.com Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for a new podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 89 of the Jay Podcast. I'll see you next time. Peace.